From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for August 11th, 2022. We are at that point in the Major League season where even with me under the weather, I, I couldn't not do it. The Yankees are number one in the AL East. Um, and... 30 games over 500, yet they're 2-8 and eight over their last 10. Can't stay healthy. They've lost two straight. The Mets, meanwhile, are 73-39. and 39. They've won six straight. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. We usually have them on for Nick stuff and for negative Mets stuff, but I couldn't not have Jordan Brickman on, even with me under the weather, uh, to talk about this team. Jordan, welcome back to Teeing It Up. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Um, this is just astonishing, and I know it's not one player. I know it's not one player. But just the overview of this is somebody who has both been there and been watching from home, um, the way they've won these games, and that Brave series, which we all knew to be so pivotal, I mean, you're 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 sitting there on Jake Day, and the way he's pitched in these two games, it has been. I mean, he was impressive in the minors. He was he was you know he 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 was fine for any other pitcher in his last rehab start, and he wasn't satisfied. And then he comes out and his major league Degrom when he gets back. It's just, it's just amazing to look at this team, look at what they're doing, and you can't, even though it's about more than just one guy, you can't not start with Jacob Degrom. That, that's right. I mean, the guy is the best player in baseball, um, but the exception short of maybe Shohei Otani, Degrom is the best at what what he does. Um, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he mentioned that. He did the analogy of the gap between DeGrom and the second-best pitcher is similar to the gap between Barry Bonds at his peak to the second-best hitter, uh, which back then was like Pujols, probably. Uh, he, he's just head and shoulders with everybody else, so when you add that to your rotation, to your team, it's just going to elevate everyone else's level of play and everyone else's intensity um, on the field. And the proof is in the pudding. I think the Mets are 15-2 and two since the All-Star since the All-Star break, or, or they had a stretch, excuse me, of 15-2 and two after losing two straight games to come out of the All-Star break. So they've been on fire basically since he was, was activated. So um, I think you can look at him for that. Also, Scherzer coming back not long before that has also brought a level of fire and intensity uh, to the team as well because he just brings that. I, I think, you know, Scherzer pitched the second game a doubleheader this past uh, weekend, and it was a super hot day, and, you know, a lot of times – Managers will pitch their best pitcher in the first game of the doubleheader, so they have more information and, and, and more arms available for, for the second game and can kind of adjust accordingly. But I think there was Buck strategically pitched Max, Max second because he knows players can get tired after a long day, but Max is going to bring the intensity in, in, a, in a game no matter what, so that'll raise the players' intensity themselves and their energy, and it obviously worked out as they, as they swept the doubleheader. So having those two guys back is just going to re- re-energize the entire team. You were away last week, and I can tell you being here, that was miserable. I mean, that was downright miserable weather. And all that at night, 
I mean, it just it just amplifies it. And for him to pitch in that game, in you know, to yes, it gets him out of the daytime heat, but still, those City Field humid nights in New York are not fun. And to do it and to and to sweep a doubleheader, which is never easy in the first place. And then to actually go do what they did, it was it was it, 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 it was a heck of a thing to watch. And and the thing that I want to uh, point to when it comes to, and I clicked on the wrong thing because I was going to go in a different direction. But you look at Scherzer, and his WAR this year is four. I mean, it just jumps out off the page, um, and you 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 see that, and his whip is below one. It just gives a one-two. Now, as Jake will progressively get stretched back out, and I remember reading when Buck didn't think that Max didn't need to be stretched out much more. That that Max was basically back to being Max again, and then you get Jake. Being Jake, once he gets stretched out, this is a nightmare for playoff opponents because you've got two guys that are going to give you rested bullpens the next day for Carrasco or whoever else. Bassett, whoever they pitch third. Absolutely. I mean, there's no better one-two punch in the league right now, right? So you got to think you're going into two to four of the games based on how long the series is. Um, with a, a large advantage on the mound, and they're fairly deep post, you know, after the top two pitchers with Bassett or Carrasco or Walker, whoever it might be. So um, it's absolutely a huge advantage. And you got to think they're going to be rested, right? They're not going to be. Yeah. They were, they're not, they were coming off pitching 180, 200 innings for the season because they're, you know, unfortunately had some injuries, but that's going to leave them to be hopefully sharp and, and ready to go for, for a hopefully a long playoff run. So it's absolutely a huge advantage. And it, it's, it's the, you know, they have, they have a good offense that's been on fire recently. Their bullpen is, is solid. Um, the rest of the rotation is, is good, but you got Max, you got DeGrom out there. You're trying to beat them in a seven game series. You got to beat those guys. You know, you're going to be facing them four times. So can you do that? Can you beat, can you beat those guys enough to, to take out the mess? And it's going to be tough, especially when you got Diaz in the ninth. That shortens the game, right? If you get seven innings, from DeGrom and Scherzer, and ETS has been doing two innings recently, which who knows how often we that put on postseason time. He's talking about really shortening that game and having a small window for these teams to take advantage. So um, it should be very interesting to see come playoff time how, how teams try to combat that. But uh, if my, those guys are on the mound, I like my chances in any game. Enter Sandman has a special place. We're, we're talking with Jordan Brickman here on Teeing It Up. Enter Sandman will always have a special place in my heart. As a song, because it means Mariano Rivera was entering the game, and it meant that this Yankee game was over. Edwin Diaz and the Trumpets, for those who are not aware, please explain this. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's weird because this has been going on for quite a while. It's not a new thing. Um, I believe it started last year, to be honest with you. Um, and he just, I mean, he's been incredible this year. And, and the, the amount of fans that are there and the heightened anticipation from coming out has grown. So I just think that SNY just did a great job shooting him coming out. But they've been 
we've been doing this for, for a little bit now. The song is just incredible. It's a party song. Uh, Narcos by Blaster Jacks. I remember I sent it to one of my buddies when we first heard it, and he texted us back. He said, I'm not going to lie, that's the best song I've ever heard. Um, and it's just, it's, just a, it's just a party. It's just the trumpets. Everyone loves trumpets. And actually, in the video that went viral, they don't even have the beat dropping, which is my favorite part of the song. Um, so it's just great vibes. Everyone gets in a great mood. It means the Mets are winning generally or, at worst, not losing. Um, so uh, he, he comes in and it's basically three strikeouts every single time. So it's, it's, it's great to see. <laughs> Jacob DeGrom has made two starts. He's pitched a total of ten, uh, 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 ten and two-thirds innings. He already has a war of 0.3. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> He's pitched 10 and two-thirds innings. Um, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's uh, crazy. Um, he's one of a kind. You know, and then as you turn to, to batting, um, and you look at somebody like Vogelbach, it's not the Juan Soto headline trade to San Diego. It's not any of the blockbuster stuff, but it's 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 Buck, it's Steve Cohen, it's 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 Sandy Allison thinking what this what does this team need? So kind of walk me through what you thought about the various moves they made in and around the uh, trade deadline. Yeah, well, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Obviously, we have the short-term success here of all the moves, so everyone is very happy in the moment. Of course, it's not going to matter if they get cold and doesn't, don't show up come playoff time, but we were expecting a big splash, right? J.D. Martinez, Wilson Contreras, David Robertson, um, the dreams of Juan Soto. There was a, a, a day or so where the Mets were the betting favorite to get Juan Soto, um, so the, the dreams of that happening. Um, and the Mets have a top, what's currently ranked as a top five farm system in baseball, and all of their top prospects, with the exception of one or two of them, are in double-A AA or triple-A. So they have a lot of players that teams are going to really want um, that can help. And they have the number one prospect in baseball, Francisco Alvarez. So those are guys that, you know, if you really want to cash in your chips, you can move these guys and make a huge splash and really lock yourself in as the most talented team, come, you know, come postseason time. But Billy Epler, the Mets, the Mets GM, that I, he, he was trying to be do incremental improvements without without mortgaging the future. You look at it as like, oh, he's playing it safe. Like we don't even know if we're going to have Degrom next year. We're have a healthy Max. He is having the season. Now's the time to go all in. But he plugs all he plugs all the holes that he needed to plug, and he did it with platoons. So Vogelbach is an elite. Would, if, he, if there were only right-handed pitchers in baseball, Vogelbach would probably be an all-star every year. Um, you got Tyler Naquin, who is, a, is an upgrade against righties over Mark Hanna. So now Hanna becomes the, the, le- the lefty platoon in left field um, that can play a little bit of center field as needed versus, versus lefties, which he did earlier this week. Um, and, and then you bring in Derek Ruff, who's the guy that can bash lefties. The Mets have a bit of a blind spot in that they're not great against lefty pitchers. Pete Alonso is obviously incredible against lefties. Escobar has struggled this year against most everybody, but is better against lefties. You're bringing a guy like Darren Ruff, who's got over 800 OPS against lefty pitchers. All of a sudden, the lineup just extends, and it's really kind of opened my eyes to how much the performances by J.D. Davis and Dom Smith have hurt the Mets this year. Because this was the plan, was to have those two guys be the platoon 
at the H and mash the you know the opposite hand of, of where they where they stand. So um, those guys have just been not being able to put the ball in play, um, or when they do, it has been hard contact for a guy like Dom and JD. This has a 33% strikeout rate. It's really hard to have a guy like that in a lineup when you need those people to, to be run producers. So, you know, Billy, he didn't he didn't swing for the fences, but he, he found ways to improve the team. They now have an, an elite platoon at the DH spot, and Volgabach has obviously been incredible since they've acquired him, as the other guys have been, have been good as well. So, um, he, he was smart. Now, the thing he didn't get is a left-handed pitcher in the bullpen. He added Michael Givens, who's a solid right-handed pitcher, um, has, was having a good year, has not been successful with the Mets so far. You hope he's just kind of has some nerves and, and he'll settle in. Um, but they have a big hole in, in the lefty, in the, in the pen for, for a lefty. They have Joel Lee Rodriguez, ex-Yankee, who's been better lately, but has struggled this year. And they're going to convert David Peterson, the starter, to a bullpen arm. He doesn't really have overpowering stuff, so how is that going to translate to a bullpen arm that maybe come into the game in the middle of an inning with runners on and need a strikeout? Um, so that could be a, a hole. That could definitely be something that gets exploited when you're facing guys like Freeman, uh, Juan Soto, you know, Bryce Harper's coming back, Matt Olson, these guys in the postseason that you might run into. You know, who's going to be the guy that gets that out? So they, he didn't plug every hole, but he did. He, they kept all of their prospects, all top five prospects, um, which you know is always great to see. Prospects you know don't always hit, of course, no matter how highly rated they are. But he kept all those guys for either to play next year or to cash the chips at a later date, and he still improved the team. So he kind of had his cake in '82. Right now, he looks like a genius. Come playoff time, when the pitching gets stronger and the lights get brightest, let's see how those guys do. <laughs> It's a bunch of golf fans right now who heard the can um, uh, uh, had their cake and eat it too and laughed. That's an inside golf joke. Um, so, yeah, golf fans. So the live guys tried and the judge said no. Um, <laughs> Jordan Brickman with us here on teeing it up. Um, as you look at this Met team, um, and 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 the thing is. <laughs> And what's been so remarkable about their performances is that early in the year they were winning these crazy games. Lately it's been 10-2, Like, these games have not been close. These games haven't been close. Or at least they've put up enough runs to give whoever comes in some breathing room. When you look at the playoffs, which is always about best offenses facing the best pitching, is there one guy that you look at pitching wise, sorry, hitting wise right now that you go, uh oh, I'm a little concerned about X? Or are you pretty pleased with how everybody is? Because Here's the thing about uh, uh, about uh, being a hot team. Anybody of a 2000 era Yankee, you know, uh, team can tell you this. Any, any Yankee fan out there, it's great to be hot on August 11th. You really need to be hot on October 11th. Um, so, is there one guy right now that you're looking at going, uh oh? Yeah, well, I totally agree that you know they're peaking right now and. You hope that they're not peaking too early and they can get back to this level of play, you know, in two months when 
when the wild card rounds are done. Hopefully, they can hold on for divisional lead. Uh, I would I would say it's not necessarily a guy because they're doing platoons now. I would say there's two positions that concern me, uh, and that's third base and catcher. Uh, like I mentioned, Escobar has not been good this year, uh, and Luis Guillorme is an incredible defender, scrappy hitter, but you know the guy's not going to drive in a ton of runs unless it's with the blue singles over the, short, the shortstop's head. So concerns us at, at third base for sure, and then at catcher, they've just been a dumpster fire there all year. So, Tomas Nito's been better lately. Um, I'm curious to see if they do bring up Francisco Alvarez. Obviously. He, like I said, he's the number one prospect in baseball. He can hit hit the ball, heck out of the ball. But catcher's really valuable. You have you have a, pit, you have a pitching led team. Can he can, can he catch a Jacob Degrom or a Max Scherzer in the middle of the postseason when they're going to be their most intense and and he needs to settle them down or or not them down but a reliever down and has to go to the mound and, and do all those things. So there might be a way to plug that hole at catcher. We'll see if they if they do it and bring up Alvarez. For, for his bat, but those are the two positions where I'm like, I'm not going to be surprised if we look up come postseason time and these guys are not producing at all. Well, here's the other part about that too, Jordan, which is you can you 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 can bring up a, a catcher for his hitting. He has to create a rapport with these guys. How much time has he spent with everybody that they're both on the same page? You know that it's inside sinker. Um, and, and that's tough. That is a, a tough thing to do, you know, in the middle of August. And that's, I think, part of maybe why they're hedging, which is can you build the pitching rapport, not just, you know, it, you know, the bat's nice at like, you know, for, you know, but, but you, it, it's not only to, to have a rapport, it's, it, it's this weird thing, right, where your two pitching stars are pitching great with catchers that are not producing offensively. Is it okay? Do you sacrifice that position now that you have the DH? Are you okay with that, with full knowledge that it may hurt you when it comes to hitting, but you've got a great catcher when it comes to actually catching? You know, it, it, yeah. it's a it, it's a fascinating discussion. And you know, we'll see if come postseason time, uh, you know, Nito comes up in the fifth inning, bases loaded, one out. Do they pinch hit him with you know uh, Naquin or someone off the bench based on the matchup? And then they just bring in McCann and they just cross their fingers that McCann doesn't get hurt and they get stuck with no other catcher. Like that could be something that they're that they've decided is that we have to. McCann and Nito are essentially the same player. Neither of them have gifts. Like, they're both great defenders. They both are, are great at throwing runners out. Uh, and they both can hit some singles sometimes. And that's about all they're bringing offensively. Um, so there's not much of a drop-off from bringing, you know, pinch hitting one for the other when it's a big spot in, in, in October. So that's going to be very interesting to see. To your point about building the rapport, that's kind of why I want Alvarez up now so that he can start that and we can determine versus having to do it. And I feel like the Knicks do this all the time where they finally let the young guys play the last five games of the year where you don't learn anything about them. Bring them up earlier so we can learn about it when the games actually matter. Don't bring Alvarez up mid-September. All of a sudden he hits three home runs or something in a week and you're like, we got to play this guy and then you're having your playing catch-up on, on the rapport. With that said, 
Obviously, he was there for spring training, so there was a little bit built there. And by the way, he did catch DeGrom and Max during their rehab assignments. So it wouldn't be the first time he's caught these guys, but obviously a double a double A or triple A assignment is different from October baseball. So I love them to bring him up. The problem is also to bring him up, someone else got to go, and you're not going to get rid of McCann or Nito, and the bench is just playing so well. So a little bit of a, of a crutch there. But McCann was just on the IL very recently. It would have been a great time to give him a cup of coffee to see what you have. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, they could they could be willing to say, Nito's going to play five innings today. When the time comes, we're going to pinch it for him, and McCann's going to finish the game, or vice versa. Um, and they could even do that similarly with a guy like Alvarez if they don't like how he's couched when in the bullpen. Because you have time to prepare with your starter, right? You're going to have you can talk about the game plan for the days leading up, the day of. This is how it works. This is how I like to work. You know, when, a, when there's 10 different relievers that can come in, he has to realize that in the moment. That might be a little bit harder for him as a, as a rookie. So um, all of that will be, will be interesting to follow if, if that happens at all, if, if Alvarez is even on the team come, come postseason time. Jordan Brickman with us here on Teeing It Up. Dodgers um, right now have the best record in the NL. Uh, you guys are five games back. Braves are 12 games back. Phillies 15 and a half. Um, what's interesting about that, obviously, comes to the buys and trying to avoid the wild card um, series. How much are you, are you looking big picture, or is this still the uh, is are, is there still met scar tissue in there, or are you thinking big picture now? I'm thinking big picture. I mean, look, obviously, as we know, anything can happen. And it's not like, you know, most Mets seasons, they're winning 93 games. Let's, they're on base to win 93 games or something, and the other teams are going to be around 500. So it's not inconceivable that they can lose a couple games here, other teams can win a couple games there, and they catch up. This Mets team is on pace for like 105 wins. Like, we're not talking about a team that's going to just get into the playoffs. We're talking about an all-time great Mets team. Um, so I'm of the mindset at this point that, look, these games matter. This weekend series against the Phillies is really important. You don't, you get swept by the Phillies this weekend, all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, here come the Phillies. They've been red hot lately as we play them a couple more times this year. The Phillies, I think, have the easiest schedule or one of the easiest schedules the rest of the season. So you gotta take those games very seriously. Um, but again, against the game, against a team like the Reds, or we play the Nationals or someone like that, I wanna see them rest these guys a little bit more. Um, like, Lindor hasn't sat all season. Alonso has played every single game. He's done some at DH, but he's played every single game. Which is so incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And they're having, they're both having great seasons. Lindor, I think, is, is, is not getting enough credit for how, how great he's been. Especially because he, he, he had one bad month this year and it was coming off of a, when he smashes finger into a door. Um, and other than that, he's been, he's been fairly consistent. So hopefully he can, he can finish the season strong and, I feel like he's the kind of guy that shows up come, come postseason time. Uh, but, uh, you know, I want to see Marte get some days off. I want to see McNeil and Nimmo. And, look, Pete Alonso, their offense is only going to go as far as Pete Alonso brings them. So I want to see them get him, get him off his feet sometimes and rest them a little bit. So that's what I want to see. Look, I'm not talking about resting them multiple times a week, but, what, you know, once a week, once, you know, once every other week for guys like Pete and Lindor who never sit, I'm sure their bodies are – you know, it's a long season. Alonso's never played in the postseason before. Who knows? I assume his body will hold up because he hasn't given us reason to not think that it will. But 
you might as well give him some time when you can. I trust Puck will, will do that. So that, that's what I want to start to see. But um, you also want to see DeGrom build up to where he can go seven innings and throw 115 pitches come most of the time if he needs to, or go eight innings if he needs to. So there's also the other side of building guys up. And I know Max a couple of years ago, I think actually last year, blamed his postseason burnout to the fact that he actually didn't throw enough pitches during the regular season. So he wasn't built up to throw 115, 120 pitches. He was only built up to throw 100, 105, 110. So when he had to throw 120 because the team needed him to, his arm wasn't built up to do it. So that's the kind of stuff I want I want to see them do where they're they're preparing for that with the long the long run in mind. Which is for a completely separate podcast, but that's the evolution of baseball, right? And that's yep. that is your front two guys pitching three, four times in a seven-game series, having the latitude to be able to go deep into a series, and that's what um, building Scherzer up. And and Lindor and, and Alonzo remind me of of a Jeter. Jeter hated days off, and yeah, they would give him a uh, you know day hanging out at. at uh, 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 sorry, designated hitter, but he hated it. He hated taking any days off. He wanted to play 162. He trained all offseason for 162. And there was this great conversation he once had with Joe Torre where it's like, I promise you, you are still the captain. I love you. Just relax. <laughs> and then it was comical. And it was, and it, it, was, it was basically to say, like, you're kind of getting older. Not that Lindor's old, but, you know, just, like, pace yourself. Just pace yourself. It's been a little hot around here. Uh, Jordan, yeah, you, you, you want to play 160, how about 180-plus with the postseason there? So, uh, yeah, watch you, we want you healthy. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Uh, Jordan Brickman with us here on Seeing It Up. End of August, September 1st, uh, 8.30, 8.31, September 1, the Dodgers come into New York for a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday series. For the national, not national league, the national baseball fan out there, um, who scares you um, right now? Um, just in baseball in general, is there a team? Is there a guy? Is there a person? Is there a force? Is it Mother Nature? Is it the injury bug uh, that will never be, um, you know, solved by any medicine? Um, what scares you most out there right now? is the number one thing that scares me but um, you know like you said you can't really control that so the team that scares me the most is not in the NL it's the uh, Astros they completely demolished us in four game, in two separate two game series uh, not that long ago they just totally outplayed us it seemed like our, our pitchers couldn't figure out their hitters our hitters couldn't figure out their pitchers I do think there are some teams that are just bad matchups. I think back to the, the Mets World Series in 2015. I think the Royals were a great matchup for, for the, uh, from the Royals' perspective. They matched up very well with the Mets because they were a contact team. So the Mets strikeout pitchers couldn't strike them out as easily, which made them work longer. And the Mets pitchers were used to that. And it, it just made the games a little more of a grind-out game. And they were just a, a bad matchup for the Mets. I think like the Braves, just to kind of use them as an example, are a very good matchup for the Mets because the Braves swing and miss a lot, and the Mets have swing and miss pitchers. So when you have guys that swing and miss already, you have pitchers that that exploit that, and that that leads to success for for, for the team like the Mets. So I feel like the Astros is terrifying to me. Uh, if we were to see them, obviously going to be in the World Series. I mean, look, the Dodgers. I think they're like thirty-two and five in the last thirty-seven games or something. They've been incredible, but they're they're a little beat up, like. 
Kershaw's on the on the IL. Gonsolin is going to be reaching his innings limit any day now. Um, Bueller's Bueller's injured. They they haven't been the same. Um, they've been dominant, but they the, the main stars have not been around or as dominant, or I don't expect them to be as dominant come postseason time um, as as they normally are. So. Of course, I'm scared of the Dodgers. Of course, I'm scared of the Padres lineup. Playing the Braves will always be scary, even if we do match up with them. But um, if we're healthy, I'm going into every series confident. The team that would make the least confident would be the Astros, just because of that's the only team this year that we've played them, and it's like, oh, they made, they were better than us. Uh, at least on those days, they were. So, look, we didn't have DeGrom then, right? You bring DeGrom in, great equalizer um, for, for a lot of this stuff. You get three games out of DeGrom in a seven-game series, feeling pretty good about that. Um, so that's the team that scares me the most. In the NL, of course, the Dodgers and Padres are very talented. Um, not really worried about the Cardinals uh, or the Brewers if they make it, but um, it's a short series, right? Anything can happen, a bloop and a blast here, uh, an error there, you know, an injury here, whatever it could be serious concern but on paper I'm confident going in if we're healthy um, Jordan Brickman with us here on Teeing It Up on the way out we're going to do uh, two questions on uh, on a completely separate sport um, one of them just your thoughts on the announcement today from Adam Silver that the NBA is going to do uh, what baseball has done with 42 and Jackie Robinson and retire Bill Russell's number six across all 30 teams. Yeah, I mean, it's great, right? Because it's, it's, it's great to recognize what Bill did for, for the sport and things that he endured, um, including racism and you know, some of the stories that came out when he passed away, other things that he dealt with and people breaking into his house every time he went on the road. Um, you know, it's, it's great to recognize him. Obviously, he won, I think, 11 championships. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that that's that's amazing, and I mean, never done something like this. So, so it, it, it's cool to see. I wish they would do it when he's alive. Um, I don't really see why you have to wait for him to die to do this kind of thing. Uh, Would have been nice for him to, to see this, but uh, it's great. It's great to see. It's a great way to recognize his legacy. LeBron's going to need a new number. Um, no, but, uh, he's not. No, uh, twenty five players, including LeBron, KP, Porzingis. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, LeBron, Porzingis, Caruso, and others. Anybody who's currently wearing it may continue to do so, just like baseball did with uh, 42. I'd imagine LeBron will change it, though. Uh, mm. Respect out of Bill. Mm. Um, so, so that that's my guess. Uh, I'm sure you know a piece of crap like KP will keep it going, but uh, you know I can see LeBron uh, changing it just in, you know to honor that and. Who doesn't like some extra jersey sales because he got a new number? So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, definitely, you know, I have no problem with with leaks retiring a, a player like that's number across across the board. Six is a pretty common one, as you just kind of mentioned. So uh, we'll see how the, how the players change that change the numbers if they do. And to that point, he is a four time Bill Russell NBA Finals MVP winner. Um, uh, so LeBron, it would make sense for LeBron. Either to a keep wearing it to honor it, or b to put it aside. Um, you know, to if he so chooses. But if he, you know, he is the current 
I, I, I believe he's the current leader in most finals MVPs, active players. Um, so, Got me. So, um, yeah, what a man. Um, and, and the thing Adam Silver kept saying is that he showed up, he kept showing up at all these events. He handed out that trophy, that MVP trophy. He looked frail so many years, but he still did it. Still traveled or wherever the finals was. Just what an incredible man. And and here we are, 544. I'll just do one quick check because you always got to check these things. 544 p.m. Eastern Time. Nope. Um, no Donovan Mitchell to the next trade. No Woj bombs for you here before we press for... Uh, 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 before I ask you this. So as we sit right here, um, does this trade happen? I, I still think it, it does. Um, you know, I think it was expected to kind of hit this lull and, you know, credit to Leon and team for not just giving it. You know, it sounds like if the Knicks wanted to get this trade done, it would be done. Uh, Ainge has, seems to have driven a line in the sand and saying, I want X, whatever X is. And Leon and Brock Holler and, and that team is saying, we'll pay you Y. And we're not going to pay you more than Y because you're not going to be able to come close to Y anywhere else. We know we have the best offer. We know we have what you want. So accept Y, or we'll talk later. That seems like what the reports are saying or where they are right now. Um, look, does Danny Ainge want to go into training camp with Donovan Mitchell and Pat Beverly and these guys on his roster who are Wendell players and who are going to win games for them when he's trying to tank? Is he going to want to go through that? What's that going to be like in the, in the locker room there? What's, you know, it's going to create a lot of distractions. There's going to be rumors all, all season about this. I don't know if Ainge is going to want to do that. Um, doesn't seem like Mitchell's the kind of guy that will demand a trade. Uh, at this point, he probably would have at this point. I mean, it doesn't seem like he has based off reports. So that's, that's definitely a big, a big thing to keep an eye on. Look, if, if I'm the Knicks, I kind of want to go into the season with our young guys because I think they're going to play well. Yeah. Probably going to raise their stock. Um, they're going to get a lot of opportunity this year, more, more so than they did last year because there's less players in the team. So Grimes might be a starting shooting guard on, on opening night. And, and how does he look? Does he carry over some of that summer league success and, and take us a, a sophomore, sophomore leap? And all of a sudden, you're talking about him being the centerpiece in the trade and you have to, and you have to give up less draft picks. Does, does Toppin take a step? Obviously, Randall's still, still in the way, but he showed some great improvement with the jump shot and a small sample size at the end of last year. If that continues, his value changes. If, if this does quickly continue to play like he did at the end of last season, if these guys continue to play like that, their values change. So going into the season with these guys and letting them play and kind of seeing what happens, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I don't think Donovan's going anywhere but New York. I don't think anything that other teams have anything to offer that the Knicks can offer. The Knicks have too many picks, too many young players, too many assets that the, that the Jazz want because the Jazz don't want players that cost money. That's why R.J. Barrett's not even part of the, allegedly not part of the charity conversations because they don't want to pay him a max deal in a year. So a lot of teams, like, the Heat has Tyler Hero who is not in the level of an R.J. Barrett, but he's going to want a max deal or close to a max deal. That's not the guy you build around if you're the Jets. So can the Heat turn him into three draft picks? I don't think so. Um, and that's the main, the main competition. They've mentioned the Wizards who have nothing to trade at all. 
and they mentioned the Hornets, who also don't have anything to trade. They're not going to give up LaBello, obviously. Um, so it, 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 I think the Knicks are playing it, playing it smart. They know that Ainge wants to win the trade. That he's obsessed with winning the trade. He wants to get a historic amount of value for for a guy like Mitchell. But the Knicks know you add Mitchell to this team, it's still not a championship team. You get the, the mindset is you get a talent in the door. You got R.J. Barrett. You got Jalen Brunson. You got Donovan Mitchell, all 25 and under. And then you got a five to seven year window to build around those guys before they start to they start to leave their prime, which is a large, large, long enough window to determine which of those guys fit, which of them don't fit. You know, they're one. They're they're still a player away with that roster, but getting the it's really hard to get a top 10 player. It's also really hard to get a top 20 player. But getting the top 20 player like Donovan Mitchell can help you get the top 10 player next. So that's the mindset that they're thinking about it, but they're not going to trade all the picks and all the players for him because then you're going to be left with nothing and you're still not going to be a championship team. So I like every, everything I've heard. I like the mindset. Um, you're going to have to give up some, some of the players that we love. Um, they're going to give up some of the picks that we get so attached to, but that's why the draft night trade might, might have been you know, so valuable for us. Even if those picks aren't in this trade, they'll still have some picks at the end of it all. Maybe they're not as valuable as our own picks, but we'll still have first-round picks come come in if the trade ever does happen. So that's how I think they're thinking about things. And you know, if it goes into the season, I have no problem with that because I think the player's value is going to go up. <coughs> we shall see how it all plays out. We should also see how well the pool that's being built at a very late hour in the afternoon works out apologies for anybody who has heard banging in the background it's a pool that's being built two houses down um, so <laughs> apologies for for how I sound apologies for for that noise but thanks you as always to Jordan Brickman for coming on teeing it up thanks for having me Jeremy it was fun and thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. We'll see you next time.